Welcome to the Anarchist Communist Group podcast discussing the current situation which has unfolded since the announcement, the beginning today, July the 19th, of lifting of most restrictions. I think we all see it as a very serious situation and we feel that we need to understand what's going on as well as to come up with ideas and strategies of what we can do to make sure that well, the least damage as possible is done by the current strategy and we strengthen the position of the working class. Right, so would anyone like to start out with a few ideas on what they think is going on? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it's worth saying that what's happening is happening. Uh, Freedom Day is in England. It's Boris Johnson's cabinet. Basically, although these things are, we're, we're supposed to have a four-nation sort of strategy to 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 re- react against COVID. The four nations are not in the governments of the four nations are not of one mind. And here in Scotland, I mean, I, I, it's hard for us to keep track of what's going on in other parts of the country because we've got our own set of rules here. From today, we are in what's called level zero. So we still have face masks. We're still keeping two metres distance. We are allowed eight people in our in our homes and, and so on. You know, the, all, all these measures are still in place. But it, it, it is going to have an effect on us. This because you know there's something that I noted in the the Indie Sage paper that came out I think yesterday, the 18th of July, which was called "Why Social Solidarity Is Still Needed." And there was a a good phrase there: "We are interdependent." I'm only safe when you are, and that's the that's the case internationally as well. You know, we can talk about the developed for want of a better word, nations hoarding vaccines. And we can also talk about the same effects within our communities that are are people without access to the same kind of, well, nice places to isolate. The ability to isolate. Boris Johnson has cast aside the, cast adrift rather, the people who who are vulnerable and said, would you just stay out of the way, basically? And this is, you know, without any support. These people are, you know, they're suffering socially, psychologically, financially, and nothing's being done for them. They're just being told, stay out of the way, all in the in the name of Freedom Day. And it's a kind of freedom that, that we as as anarchist communists wouldn't recognize as freedom. It's it's a it's an Ayn Rand type of freedom. It's a freedom that says, well, I can do what I like uh, and to hell with the consequences on other people. So that, you know, my freedom, you know, I'm being told if I was in England that it's up to me whether I wear a mask or whether I socially distance. So I was in England last week during the week. If I'd been in a supermarket standing in a, a queue and keeping today, if I was doing it, two metres distance, and the person behind me said, well, it's it's my right to decide not to do that. I'm, I'm going to stand right up to your back. What kind of freedom does that give me? It doesn't give me any choice. So this idea that you can have, you know, one person can have freedom that counts against another person's freedom, that's not the kind of freedom that, that we talk about. The freedom we talk about is the collective freedom that, that we have the the three strands of anarchism, which is the you know the freedom, the solidarity, and the equality. And you have to have all three of these. It's like a 
a milking stool or something. If one leg is is shorter than the others, it it collapses. And that's what what we're being left with at the moment is a, a policy that is just saying, well, some of us can have more freedom than others, and that's it's going to lead to catastrophe. I mean, I think that the government's done it. People say they've done it for financial reasons, but I think that's only a minor part. The main reason they've done it is because of pressure from the right wing of the party. And we know that because the CBI, along with the TUC and the um, venues people, etc., have all said they didn't want this. They wanted an end to lockdown, but not all ends the restrictions because it's put them in an extremely stupid situation. Uh, example are Northern Rail, Tesco's and Sainsbury's are all carrying on with the restrictions, but they can't enforce it. So they can't tell anyone, you cannot come in. I spoke to the local manager of our local Sainsbury's who had done some work with in the past. And what they're going to do is they're going to try and stop people coming in without masks and hope that they then blow up and then they can ban them from the shop for being angry. <laughs> but no, they're not wearing the mask, <laughs> which is an insane situation. And you'll find that statements have been put out by many firms and many organisations saying, we're going to keep it, but we can't enforce it. So all their staff are keeping masks, etc., and social distancing, but they can't enforce it on other people. And, I mean, I saw in the paper today, the local paper, that there was mass partying in Leeds last night at nightclubs. And I've got a friend who's a bouncer, and basically they were told by the police that they couldn't stop people coming in, so they couldn't enforce it either. So the nightclubs actually could not stop it, and three of them actually shut down to try and stop it. But then the police were called because people wouldn't leave. So basically the government doesn't give a damn and it doesn't give a damn about the economy anyway because people have said, uh, the businesses have said in mind from our perspective, have said this is going to create a worse situation for them. And regarding vulnerable people, there is now going to be a challenge in the High Court um, on the government's policy because it discriminates against disabled people. And the Disability Law Service, we had a client uh, where we passed on to them and they'd had so many complaints that they're going to take it up that it actually discriminates against them because it forces them to stay inside while other people can go out. And so therefore, it's actually discriminatory at the moment under British law as it stands. Now, that won't do anything and it'll be too late, but it's an interesting aspect. When you add that to over the 100,000 signatures that are now on the document calling for the restrictions to be put back in place, which includes scientists, doctors, businesses, etc., saying that we want these back in place, we just wanted the lockdown lifted, the government's response today, I saw, was, oh, no, we urge people to follow the restrictions. So that's the situation we're in. But we at work are now having to, we basically had to close. We were going to open face-to-face, but we had to close because we can't enforce our restrictions, which then puts people at risk. And there's the added thing of people like Rachel, who travelling to work is a nightmare. She said she was lucky today that about 70% of people wore masks but nobody was social distancing. Mm-hmm. I mean, she just put a bag next to her and sang really badly to the music channel to keep people away. But, you know, if she gets it, it not only affects her service users, but it means she doesn't get paid. There's a loss of income as well. And with the government now stopping all the extra payments for the old fair-loaned um, self-isolated scheme, and they've told extremely vulnerable people to self-isolate now, to shield, as they call it. What they haven't told is the vulnerable people to do that. 
and the vulnerable people are the most at risk, bizarrely enough, because they're more likely to mix and are more likely to have the vaccine, which doesn't stop you getting it and doesn't stop you becoming ill. It just reduces the risks. Yeah, I mean, as, as Mike has said, you know, I think this is really lunacy because it is a very small number of people which should be driving this. You know, it's not popular with most of the population which want to see, no one wants to go back to lockdown, but certainly support for face masks is still very, very much over 50%. Recent Yuga polls have shown that people think that we're moving too fast. So it's not popular with the general population. It's not really popular with capital. <laughs> you know, um, it's the other governments, but even within... England, local governments uh, are trying to do, enforce it. So here in West Yorkshire, our new West Yorkshire mayor has put, are tried to enforce some type of ban in the bus station itself that you have to wear a mask. Things like this type of stuff. So it, it's not even popular with Jeremy Hunt, for example, <laughs> who was um, you know, chair of the, uh, the health committee, was actually saying basically that the thing that we need to be, in, uh, be introduced restrictions. So it is a policy which seems to be designed to appeal to an incredibly small number of lunatics on the right of the Tory party and no one else. And um, I mean, you look at what happened both in the Netherlands and Israel, you know, Israel, we got a high, even higher vaccination policy. They did it too fast and I found that they had to change tack. The Netherlands went up even faster than we did. And again, you know, the PM there had to apologise for doing things too fast. It's just almost insanity <laughs> that you have to find anyone to move at the speed that they are doing and you know, the dangers for it both nationally and internationally you know the spread of this delta variant across much of the country uh much of the globe sorry and the chance for new forms of vaccine resistant variants is, is just it really is a case of putting the entire world at risk for a few <laughs> lunatics yeah. and um the phrase when, you know, what Steve was talking about just restruck me is Thatcher's, there is no such thing as society. There is only individuals. And it just seemed to be that is sort of like the, the policy that or the, the ideology that is driving them um, and nothing else. It's, it's really a mad place which we've ended up. It was interesting listening to a number of uh, scientists and epidemiologists saying if they wanted to cultivate a vaccine-resistant strain of, of, of the Delta variant, what to do is, is vaccinate half of the population and then uh, cast them adrift with, with no... And we, we talk about um, restrictions, but I'd prefer to call them mitigations mm -hmm. because really how much of a restriction is it to, to wear a face mask or to stand two metres away from someone? You're not really restricted and we're not coming out of lockdown either. You know, we were able to do many things. We were able to, to go to cafes and to, you know, to do... Okay, so you, you couldn't go into a pub and spend all evening there with a, a throng of your mates, but you could go there with a number of your mates and, you know, spend a, a you know, it's not, it's not lockdown. Lockdown was last March when everybody was restricted to their homes. And that is something that's, you know, that, that we don't want to have to do, but it's something that we may have to do again very soon because we've, we're, you know, cultivating a new variant that will perhaps be resistant to to vaccines. It's it's bizarre. But there was one thing that, that Zach mentioned about, you know, not even capital is happy about 
the the way this is going. And it's interesting how the media have picked up on the language that the government are using about freedom. The BBC included have been talking about a pandemic as if the problem is the 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 app rather than the fact that it's it's pinging because lots of people have got COVID. I know so the, you're talking about people, you know, they're suggesting even, you know, the, the amount of times that I heard it on the radio, someone in the BBC saying lots of people are switching off their app or deleting the app. And, you know, that's sort of putting it in the public mind. Oh, maybe we should know it's Freedom Day. Let's delete our apps. But actually reducing uh, contact notification via the app, thereby increasing cases faster, will increase the numbers of people off work in the medium term, which capital doesn't want. And um, and many of them will have long COVID, and and they'll be off work for 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 you know who knows how long we don't we don't know enough about long COVID. Some people have had it for for over a year now. So you know, capital doesn't want that. Uh, it's it's really strange. It's I mean, I've I've I've, I've heard people saying that um, it's because there's a a, a small uh, number of. Uh, COVID sceptics or lockdown sceptics, whatever you want to call them, in the Tory party who needed to be appeased. And they held the, the balance, the, uh, the majority in the, in the government, and the, the government didn't want to rely on opposition members for its majority. That actually doesn't sound very credible to me. So I don't know where this is coming from. It just seems like nobody knows what's going on and they're, they're making it up as they go along. You know, because I disagree with that because there is there is sixty two sceptic MPs uh-huh. in the Tory Party and they hold the balance of power. Basically, if they don't vote with the government and the opposition votes against the government, the government loses. It's as simple as that. Not only that, but they include the influential groups within the Tory Party that can get rid of Johnson. So that's why he's doing it. In my view, yeah. it's purely political. It's purely about saving his neck and the fact that he seems to be able to get away with anything and still increase his popularity. I'd like to raise a couple of slight uh, qualifications in that. First of all, about the fact that people don't support it. I think a lot of people do support what's happened. And there, I know a lot of it's on the news, but a lot of people are very pleased to be able to go back to nightclubs, to be able to go back to pubs, to have big weddings, to be able to go to big parties. And I think the problem is the basic facts that there has been a eruption between people's awareness of the consequences of their actions. And this is what you referred to before, this idea of the social solidarity seems to have been broken. And a lot of this is because of the the message of the government. It's very, very difficult. A lot of people just don't realise, I don't think, that the severe consequences of their actions because they've been, unless you're listening to Independence Age every week or whatever, you know, you're, the normal headlines, the normal message of the government, you're not going to get the information about how serious the consequences of this are. All you hear is that, and you can see it, it's supported by the statistics, deaths have certainly been reduced. You know, they have been reduced. So before it was the deaths that really did panic people, the fact that deaths were going up and up and up. And now if people are actually bothering to look at the statistics at all anyway, they see that that has gone down. 
And the hospital cases, of course, is the other key statistic that people have to be looking at. But again, that you don't hear that. And, he, and also, I think people have become statistic immune as well, or insensitive, whatever the word, desensitized. It doesn't mean anything. 30 deaths doesn't mean anything. 800 new hospital admissions doesn't mean anything. And that's partly, you know, the media and the government's fault that people just aren't getting the consequences. And and you never hear about what NHS workers are going through. You don't hear yeah. about long COVID stuff. You know, you have to really troll the internet to hear some of the stories about what the consequences. You've got to actually listen to Independent Sage to hear the absolute panic that is going through the scientific community about what they think will happen. You know, there was a meeting of international scientists last week that was hosted by some of the people at Independent Sage. They had public health people from New Zealand, from Spain, from China, from, you know, all sorts of places. And they're all worried because they think Britain is going to be the key because of the openness of international travel, which is another thing that they refuse to do anything about. They just feel that whatever happens in Britain is just going to be spreading to the rest of the world. And the scientists are absolutely panicking. But the problem is the general population is not hearing this. And therefore, all they hear is, well, well it's not a problem anymore. That's what they're hearing. Mm. And I think that's what we're, we're facing. Yeah, I think that was one of the things which we could sort of say that was quite good, positive, which came out of the wholeness, was the fact there was that sort of social community again. There was a people that people began to look at things in a social aspect and across society we were interdependent and interrelated. And that does seem to be a loss. And um, it's pretty frightening. I had a meeting with um, our health and safety chief at my employer. So this is someone who, you know, you think, and this former union rep, by the way, so you should think someone had a, you know, a good understanding of these dangers. And, you know, it was all personal responsibility, exactly parroting the government line. And they came up with a dreadful line that, oh, well, you know, we're just going to have to live with it, like flu. You know, I, you know flu kills, you know, 25,000 people. It doesn't matter. Yeah, we don't care about that. And my answer was, well, we should care about that. <laughs> the fact that we don't, you know, we, we often let flu, which kills, you know, 25,000 people, perhaps in a bad winter. We don't see that as a, huge, horrible tragedy, rather than just like, oh, it's something that happens. It's something that we've really got to change. And um, I think there's a part there where it might look like it might change. But unfortunately, it seems to have gone very far back and the government pushing with the help of a lot of people, particularly the state media and the BBC, it's really individualist aspect. We've lost that communal thing, which was building up in the initial aspects quite quickly, unfortunately. Um, I think there is still something there, but it has been, it's certainly been much pushed back. And, you know, the whole idea of it's not going to be the same after COVID, we're going to do things differently, we're going to improve things is pretty much completely gone. It's, you know, I want to go back to normal. Well, you know, normal was pretty crap for lots of people before. <laughs> Let's not go back to normal. Yeah, a couple of things. I suppose the first thing is about what you mentioned about the nightclubs and things. That started earlier in the year. And it started with the disparity of what you could and couldn't do. So the first one was sporting events. So first of all, you had things like Ascot where posh people could go, but you were allowed to go to football. And then they had the European Championships, you had football, but you couldn't go to a gig. And I'm the member of the um, bodies that represent sort of music venues because of involvement in the one in 12 club and things. 
And they're really struggling. And to see sort of 40,000, 50,000 people at Wembley and be told you can't open and have a gig was just, for them, it was insane. Even though they knew the risks, it was like, well, yeah, but we're all going to go under. The bands were going to go under. The amount of people affected by it was quite phenomenal. It was like when they shut the mines down, it doesn't just affect one thing, it affected hundreds. And I think that when you have those messages, people who wanted to go to gigs and that, who were quite well aware of the risks. I know from one group who's an organiser, a promoter, and they were well aware of the risks, but they said, we've just got to take the risks just to survive now. And we're getting complaints from people saying, why are you opening? Why are you opening? Because they see everybody else opening, or particularly on these big sporting events and things. So that was part of the reason that people think they sort of know the risk, but they're like, oh, well, let's take the risk. Because the alternative is you're just going to go under. And for them, it's difficult. The other thing to go on from um, what Zach was saying about the flu thing, just something that really winds me up, is even if you accept, okay, then there's nothing we can do about flu, we'll let 25,000 people die. That doesn't mean you've got to then allow another 25,000 people die for this disease and another 25,000 for the next disease because at some point you're back in the hundreds of thousands and it just doesn't make any sense to me to go, oh, we'll just add it to the 25,000. We'll add it to the flu virus. But it's a really weird way. And again, it goes back to what um, Steve said at the very beginning, who will does this affect the most? Vulnerable people of various degrees and those who have to work with vulnerable people. I'd like to pick up on what Steve was saying about using the term lockdown. And another thing that the public health officials have said is they pointed out in that the countries like New Zealand and Australia that actually put in some very strict measures at the beginning and had a very effective what they call trace, track, isolate and support system. Support. Yeah support being the operative word here, they were able to get the virus under so much control that they've had minimal effect on people's lives and on the economy. So that that's why it's people say, oh, well, you're pro-lockdown or whatever, you're pro-lockdown. And they say that to Independence Age. Independence Age is saying, we're not pro-lockdown. <laughs> you know, we're actually anti-lockdown because but we have to have measures, the mitigation measures, as Steve said, in place, the public health measures in place, yeah. so that you don't have to have lockdown. But yeah. the government has consistently not put the measures in place. And one, and that is by, we already know, 37 billion pounds given to their friends to do this, the system that's been completely ineffective. And no support, which people have already mentioned. And that's the same thing what you were saying, Mike, about the people in the nightclubs. Of course, if they're not given the proper support, then people's financial issues are sometimes going to trump the health issues they're in that situation. So all those things haven't been in, in place. Local authorities, they don't have the money to support people isolating. Or if like they did in New York City, they actually were putting people up in hotels. For example, if they were in a family, you know, the one person who had it was then paid to go into a hotel. You know, I mean, they were, all these other countries were doing all these things. They had better sick pay. They had special COVID pay, you know, extra pay. All these things were being done. The UK, well, the English government, but I'm sorry, also some of the other governments yeah, didn't yeah. do these things. 
And the worst thing, which they failed to see from the very beginning, is the role of the schools. And, you know, they were constantly saying that it was safe. But every time you looked at the data, the age group where the cases were the strongest was primary school, nursery, secondary school, university. But they were saying, oh, no, no, there's nothing wrong with the schools. And you notice in Scotland now that the cases have actually now gone, the rate per 100,000 have gone down in Scotland. And, of course, Scotland has been on school holiday for several weeks. Exactly. But, yeah. they, but, but they refused. Last summer, they had all the possibility. The cases were very low. They could have gone into those schools and they could have said, we've got to come up with a system where it's safe. And, again, all these scientists have tons of ideas of what you could do to make it safe. No money for it, no support, absolutely nothing. And the same thing is going to happen this September. So even if maybe when the schools are on holiday, it's going to look like cases are low, but I'm not convinced because of everything else. But at least it will have a, you know, the fact that they're not getting in school, spreading in schools will help. But of course, then it will be back with a vengeance in September. It's worth remembering that the teenagers are unvaccinated at the moment. And we are now hearing of teenagers in ICU, unvaccinated teenagers being intubated and all these things. Are we just going to say that those people are, we've we've only vaccinated, double vaccinated, half of the population, and there's 35% that haven't been vaccinated at all? To hell with them. We'll just see what happens. That's not the way a caring society ought to be talking about people. Yeah, we have personal experience of this because we've got two management committee members and three clients now have COVID after having both vaccinations, all of them, and two of them in, in, in ICU on the clients and one of our um, management committee members who are vulnerable, and every single one caught it off grandkids. Average age, 14, 15, every single one. Right, so I think we can see that, you know, we're in for it, really. And I know we're a small voice in the world, but I mean, I'm wondering if we could maybe discuss the kind of things we could be trying to argue for that might mitigate, shall we say, the, uh, or try to facilitate people's resistance to what's actually going on. What are the kind of things that we could be doing as a, a small group or groups of workers in the workplace or people organising in the communities? There's a number of things that we could focus attention on. How much attention people will pay to us is, is, another, is another thing. But the, take, for example, last year we were adhering to the mitigations, let's say. And so all the other um, seasonal diseases were a way down to sometimes zero. So we, we can actually <laughs> eradicate these diseases that we've just been living with. And we do it by fairly small measures, washing your hands, wearing a mask if appropriate. And the big thing is ventilation. At the beginning of the, of the pandemic, we weren't quite sure about how it was transmitted, but it's become clear now that it's aerosols and it's, it's airborne basically. So one of the things that, that has been clear, I've been talking to various people who work in retail, for example, and if you're in a, a retail store that's got the big plate glass windows that don't open, and the only air that's been moving around is the circulating air in the, the cooling system, so they've been switched off because that's spreading the, the COVID around. But So now you've got warm, still air and no ventilation, 
and people are in are just in hot houses where you can catch COVID. So what we can be saying is, look, these are things that we can do to prevent the spread of diseases. COVID and other diseases included will be the to the benefit of the world for the long term if we can wor- work out how to properly ventilate workplaces, public places, homes. In some places, it's it, you know, in some schools, it'll just be a matter of if you've got those sash windows that you can open the top and the bottom, and you can allow a flow. And in the winter, maybe just open the top a crack to allow, allow a flow. And there's a whole science behind how all that works. But places like um, the the big retail um, outlets will need to invest in proper ventilation that actually moves air. Uh, and, and that's what we need to be calling for, measures like that, that actually make a difference to not just COVID, but all sorts of other diseases that we've just been putting up with. But it will require that people in those places need to be organising in order to demand them. I mean, it's like in the schools, really, is that, I mean, the teachers and the parents have to get together and say what they want. Yeah, um, that's what's so vitally important is that people are, can't. I mean, we we would we never felt. I think always in the ACG, we didn't obey the lockdown rules. We never obeyed anything. What we did is we looked at the situation, we studied the situation, and we did what we thought was the best thing for everyone. We followed guidelines or whatever that we thought were necessary, not because the government told us to do it. And I think even a lot of anarchists, they seem to misinterpret there's a difference between, oh, the government's told us to do this. So, you know, so, oh, so we they're told this, this, this rule, <laughs> oh, you know, why should we obey the government? You know, but then on the other hand, as soon as someone says, oh, you can do it now, then they say, oh, we'll do it. You know, there's nothing to do with that. The whole idea is we think for ourselves and we work out what we think is the right thing to do. And in the power that we have, our small amount of power where we can influence, I mean, maybe as consumers, as you were saying, Mike, talking to your local store, I know that I've been at least asking people where I've been, you know, I said, oh, well, what are you planning to do? And things like that sort of suggesting that, well, actually, I wouldn't be very happy in coming here if, you know, you you didn't, you know, put these measures in place. Or obviously the people at work have much more power. But even the workers, it seems, are also people who are been taken in on this message and they've been ground down as well. And uh, they've got other threats. That's the other problem, because workers are yeah. facing all these other threats from COVID. Yeah. The financial issues of redundancies and hire and fire and rehire and, yeah. you know, all job insecurity and pensions or whatever. So they've been ground down by all of this. That you do feel that do we have a strong enough workers' movement to actually self-organize and insist on these public health measures, not lockdown, the public health measures like, as you say, vent- ventilation is in particularly important. I think we can tap into other groups and organizations that we wouldn't normally. So, for instance, um, public health leads, third sector leads, which deals with all the charities and that, have all come out and said we should carry on with the backlog and the restrictions because that's what the government called them that were in place before. 
and that these should not be eased at this time and they should be eased only when the evidence shows that it's able to ease them slowly. Leeds City Council are meeting at the moment, well, not literally at the moment, but over the next few days about it to see what they can do because they'd like to keep the restrictions in place, but they've been told by some right-wing Tory MPs that they will challenge it in the courts because they have no right to bring in these restrictions. But it's things like that we should possibly support. Because it's our normal bread and butter stuff. But my understanding, and I know someone else talked about it on one of the forums, is that the unions are being pretty wishy-washy about it. I've had some stuff from Unite, but it's very much about talk to your employer about it and see if you can get them to get you a mask. It's like, well, you're just asking them to buy me a mask. That's not really the point. So it appears that there is other people like local authorities and I call them industry organisations that are the ones that are pushing it forward more than anyone else. And certainly amongst the, the third sector and those sort of people in like public health, you can go to their meetings and you can influence it. Because I've done it through work. You know, they're open to the public and you just apply. And I don't see why when we have the time that we can try and influence stuff and do it through that as well. Yeah, I think the unions have been um, pretty poor overall. I mean, one thing, again, is sort of, I think, a missed opportunity in that when the NU, just after Christmas, the NUT, particularly threatened S44, Section 44, and not going back. And they pretty much went out on the road to do that, really. And I think there's a real opportunity to miss there. Other unions following them. Yeah, there's a big debate with my own union about did we do enough to threaten S44? And I think that is probably always, always going to be a threat. I think if enough unions had actually said, yeah, you know what, we're going to think about S44, we're going to put it as a marker, there's a real opportunity to push there at a door. And I don't think they did. And they always backed off after that. So I think, again, it's probably looking for opportunities if they do arise again. I mean, I think that this is going to get so bad that unfortunately things like Section 44 are going to come up again because it's just going to get, I mean, okay, it is a much reduced risk of, uh, of dying and even go to hospital vaccinate. But I think the number of cases we are seeing, I mean, over 50,000 already, you know, before, I suspect by, you know, early August, we're going to have 100,000 a day. I know um, Neil Ferguson was talking about 200,000 possibly a day. I mean, it's... Yeah. When you're talking about that numbers, it's just astronomical. We are going to see a rise in deaths. They're going to get high again. And I think it's making sure this time that we do learn mistakes we made in the past and really hit hard when we can and push at the open doors when we've got support rather than um, relaxing and not letting go. Really make sure that you do organise when you've got people pushing for it and try and get it done as fast as possible before bosses and the government have a chance to respond really. I mean, one thing is that uh, people said that the employers were all largely against what the government wanted to do. But I do think there still are a lot of employers who want to get their workers back to work. Oh, yeah. And uh, oh, yeah. I mean, one, there's the financial cost of the government having to pay furlough or whatever. Um, so that's the one financial issue the government's concerned about. But I do think a lot of employers, I don't think they feel they have proper control of their workforce. <laughs> unless their workforce is there. And I know there's various ways of monitoring people online, but I'm sure it must grate some managers not to be able to be watching to make sure their employees are, you know, yeah. doing their, getting their pound of flesh out of their employees. So there were some, again, on Indie Sage, there was actually a woman who talked about being under pressure to go back into one of the big offices in the city 
and that they that the employer wanted them all back. And we're talking about a place with hundreds, hundreds of workers. And I and she was very worried about it because she said there wasn't going to be any nothing done about ventilation, nothing, no face masks, nothing. So I think there probably are more employers out there than we think who are going to try to force their workers back. And hopefully this will galvanize quite a few people when they realize what it actually means, especially with when there's going to be all these high cases. So hopefully then there, there will be the workers themselves and maybe with some union support for once to actually fight against this forced return to work. I mean, the government's backed down a bit already. I think I noticed in Scotland as well that Sturgeon said, oh, they'd negotiate with the unions. At least in Scotland, they mention the unions. Johnson doesn't even mention the unions at all. Yeah. But hopefully that, that will be one area when... Because at the moment, you walk around London and look in places like Canary Wharf, and really it's the safest place to be because there's hardly anyone there. Yeah. <laughs> so, so still, so, but if the, some, a lot of these places are going to be forcing people back. And, of course, when that happens, then you've got the whole, as you said already, Mark, the transport issue, really, because even now the tubes aren't terribly busy. But really, as that happens, then they, I mean, really, they'll just be breeding grounds. I mean, you pack them in like sardines, it's going to get pretty awful, really. So I do think there's scope there for, for organising. Zach? Yeah, I think the other thing we should probably think about organising is, is really the international situation. You know, I mean, as bad as it is going to be over the next few months, I think, in the UK, you look at what's happened worldwide. And again, I think this is a story which is completely bypassing people. But what's happening in so outside the G20 is appalling. I mean, look at Peru's number, I think it's like 200% increase in mortality ever yeah. since this started. It's, it's, it, you know, it, it's almost unbelievable. You know, it's been nothing here, really. Paris. I mean, it's, tragically, as many it is, we've just been nothing like it. And you look at what's happening in South Africa now, it's already more deaths now than there was in the previous waves and they've only got three percent vaccinated yeah yeah 2000 and you know it's 2022 is gonna be a very strange year in that you know a lot of these developed countries again I hate that word but <laughs> something it's going to be you know if not back to normal at least many of the things were going to be you know similar that we're not gonna have that much impact on our lives it's been minor things in the you know in, in lots of other countries, it's going to be you know death rates which look the last two years are actually quite small. It's it's really things. So I think making sure we do ensure that vaccines are distributed across the world, pushing. I know it's a hard message from a small group, but pushing you know the fact that why are massive companies making huge profits out of these vaccines? You know when the technologies you know should be there for free. It's developed by state aid in most cases. You know governments. You know, we we develop these technologies. So it needs to be benefit for everybody. Yeah. There was a, a leader in the Lancet last week that called international vaccine solidarity derisory. And it is. And that's a message that I think that we can pick up on too, because we are interdependent. You can look at it in terms of we ought to feel for these people that are going through all that. But also these are the virus doesn't know where the where the borders are. And these are variants that are going to come here. And if we aren't manufacturing our own variant by, by these policies, then there are variants that are going to travel because it's, it's an international world. And, and we're now 
you know, we're we're allowing business people to to travel with with without having to quarantine, and we're going to end up with these more aggressive variants. We were mentioning earlier about the link between death and COVID has been weakened. That's that's true, but we've also got hospitals reporting that they're no longer able to provide routine care. You know, that's including cancer operations and things like that. So people people will die of other things if it's not COVID as a result of these 200,000 a day that, that Neil Ferguson thinks we may have or, or, or more. And, and also just to pick up on something else that was said earlier about, you know, those businesses that, that are pushing the government to make these changes uh, uh, on the basis of the economy rather than on the basis of, of, of people's lives. It, it, that's a false dichotomy because, you know, international studies have consistently shown that the worse the, the pandemic is allowed to rage, the more harm is done to, to the economy and, and the, the greater the lockdowns will need to be in, in the longer term. Because if we've got new variants raging uh, in the autumn or winter, we will have to lock down again, and, and that will harm the economy again. So, so, you know, the actions that are being taken now don't make any sort of sense from, from any angle. And these are the kind of messages that I think that we can, that we can get across fairly clearly. Ventilate. You know, it's educate, organise and, and agitate or in whichever order. But, you know, but first of all, by educating that, that we need to ventilate. How many people know that ventilation is a, is a requirement? We know about face masks and we know about washing our hands, but how many people in the street have heard the message about ventilation? Going back to the international thing, the other thing we should point to is what's happening in those countries on the ground. Because if you look at Brazil and Cuba, although it was doing other things as well, and now in India and in Pakistan, I was hearing yesterday, there are now mass protests against governments. And it's a really bizarre thing because you'd expect it to be almost against the sort of restrictions and lockdowns, but it isn't. It's against the lack of restrictions and how the, the poor people, particularly in these countries, which are the worst affected, are suffering. Um, I was watching some of the stuff from our comrades in Brazil um, that they'd posted, and they're getting like two, three, four hundred thousand people on these protests calling for poor areas to have vaccinations. Just a simple thing like that. And I think we have to see that as a sort of positive move of what we can point to. Now, actually, the public do have the power, the people do have the power eventually, but they have to organise, as you already said, as well as educate. And we need to be pointing to the fact that these countries, although suffering, if they do get what the public demands, they're going to be in a better situation than, than us, who've just sort of poodled along nicely. I mean, I think one of the things that was that's quite visual in the the pandemic is that your face masks or face coverings is a is a metaphor for mutual aid. Because my mask protects you and your mask protects me. And that's what mutual aid's all about. And if we can, you know, I think people understood that. If we can revive that message, I think we'll be, you know, we'll be heard. Because that did resonate with people, that kind of idea that, you know, I will put up with some things because if you get ill, I get ill in the long term. And we've got to spread the message internationally because... 
um, really, the, when you think that the, I know that the Delta, first of all, you had the Kent variant. Hmm. That did start in Britain. So it starts in Britain and soon is the most prevalent variant in the rest of the world. Hmm. Right, you had the Delta or Indian variant, but really it didn't. It came from India to Britain and then from Britain, it went everywhere. Yes, yes. So we have a responsibility, not just, you know, what we're doing here has huge implications for the rest of the world. And uh, that's why we need to make people aware of that, that our actions here, you know, could lead to this really, as you already pointed out, quite very, very serious situation elsewhere. I mean, the Brazilian variant didn't really get very far. No. I mean, I don't know how far, but really, and the South African variant for that matter, um, because we're lucky it didn't, because apparently the uh, two jabs of the AstraZeneca vaccine on the South African is only 10, 10% effective. Mm. <laughs> At least uh, it's 60% effective against the Delta. But so we are at the hub of the international situation. So yeah. that's why international solidarity has to be central to our campaign. I'll have a 99, please. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> I've got a little nice cream now. <laughs> yeah, but, the, you know, that's one of the things that, the you know, the reason that so many of those um, more than a thousand scientists that were signing that uh, declaration um, are internationally based scientists you know it's not just british scientists i mean there are there's there's uh, the chair of the the bma the the um the royal college of nursing 23 academies of medicine have all complained to the government that there's that, that this is madness uh, but the world leading scientists are describing the the strategy as unethical and murderous those are the kind of things that they're using because it's not just going to be us it's not it's not going to stay in you know we're talking about uh, policies that are largely English government policies, but it's not, it's not going to stop at the, you know, there's a, a currently um, spikes in the northeast of England. That's that's going to travel into to low things. There's no point in us saying, you know, you daft English folk, you look what you've done, because it's going to affect us tomorrow. And that's why everybody in in the rest of the world is saying, hold on a minute. You know, what's going on in, in the UK is sheer madness for the whole world. But also it's giving, uh, people have commented that it's given support to those anti-public health measures, shall we say, movements elsewhere. So in the US, and particularly apparently, uh, evangelical Christians have been mentioned. So there's some very conservative states in the US and uh, their leaders have been anti-vaccine and anti-lockdown. So, of course, you can say, well, look what's happening in Britain. They're doing this. So, you know, rather than looking to the good examples that you mentioned, Mike, you know, look what, uh, what's happening in Brazil or whatever, a lot of people are looking to us. So we've got to change what we are doing so that we can be an inspiration for the rest of the world rather than a, a negative inspiration, which we are at the moment. 
Well, we'll probably hold another one of these, uh, sort of uh, the equivalent of the ACG independent sage, shall we say, <laughs> um, in a three weeks or so many times. We should if point only out I could that, be that none of us is of medically uh, qualified. Yeah. So I, I, I like to see myself as Professor Alice Roberts, of course, <laughs> chair of Independence Age. <laughs> but uh, but um, well, hopefully we'll see that things are that things aren't as dire as they appear at the moment when we convene again in uh, three or four weeks' time.